0: May welcome to two thousand and eighteen. It is so good to have you here for episode thirty-five of the Exponential Performance Podcast. I hope you had a good Christmas and a great New Year. In this episode, we are going to take a look at some listener Q and A. We're going to talk about the Red Bull four hundred, a four hundred meter run up a ski jump. it's a must watch if you haven't seen a video about it already. We're also going to talk about uh, weight loss in cycling. What if you're training and you're not losing any weight? What's going on there? And EPC coach Nick Taylor is going to talk about macronutrients. Let's get into it.
1: Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Matty Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are.
0: G'day mate, what's going on? It is so good to have you back here listening to the first episode of the Exponential Performance Podcast for 2018. This is episode 35. I hope your year is off to a good start and that you're training towards your goals, whatever they may be, are going well so far. Now, if you follow me over on Instagram, you would have seen that the Exponential Performance Podcast Christmas Charity, we managed to raise $702.00 from all of you generous listeners out there. And this $702 has been donated to World Vision to help make some other people's lives who are a little less fortunate than us make their lives slightly better. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all of those people that uh, dug deep and paid it forward. Remember I asked if you've found this podcast useful and you want to give something back, then consider paying it forward and making a donation. So thank you very much for everybody that donated uh, to make up that accumulative amount of $702. A little goes a long way in this case. Now, at the moment, I am in the middle of one building or finish building our house which is taking a long time to do and also over uh, the last couple of weeks i have been working personally uh, along with a lot of help on building a big deck out the back of my house now the more and more i think about it the links between building and coaching slash training are so strong and i've talked about this before in a video where i talked about uh, a builder's toolbox and the art versus the science of training and while uh, uh, a builder may have these tools that they use that's sort of the science of the training how they use them and they use that workmanship that's the art of coaching or training and the more I think about these links and if you want to look at that video I'll post a link in the show notes below, so you can check that out. Just head over to the Exponential Performance Coaching website under po- the podcast tab, episode 35, and you'll find the link to the video there. But the more I think about these links between building and coaching, it's unbelievable how similar they are. At the end of the day, we're looking at building or creating this finished product. And in the, in the case of a builder, at It's a house, in this example, or a deck, depending on uh, what you're building at the time. And and in in the case of a coach or someone who's trying to train, it's making that person into the best possible condition they can for whatever their goal event is. And as I think about it more and more, uh, I just thought I'd talk about some of these Interesting observations. You know, I know personally. I know how to follow simple instructions, and in fact, my neighbour over the fence. Luckily, he is a builder, and he's been giving me uh, unbelievably large amounts of advice. I'll go over there, and I'll ask him. I'll say, John, you know, what do we need to do for this? Blah blah blah. I don't even know the terms, so I'm not even going to try and throw them out there. What do we need to do today? You know, to get this get this project underway, and he'll just start throwing out all these terms, going through all these things, explaining all this stuff. He's got a huge wealth of knowledge there. And I'm like, yep, yep. No, no, that's, that's great. Sweet. No, that's awesome. I've got it. And I walk back over, and I'll get over to the job site, and I'll just have forgotten everything. Looking at the situation, I'm like, oh, no. And as we get along a bit, it's not too bad. I can follow those simple instructions, you know, hammer a few bits of wood together, and then... When something doesn't go quite right, I don't know what to do. And I think that's a lot the same for a lot of people who are potentially self coaching themselves. They read a book or they get a little program uh, off off the internet and they start following it and it's going pretty well that you know they're following the simple instructions, they're doing the basic things. But then when there is a fork in the road and a decision has to be made or an obstacle needs to be, tackled or something doesn't go quite right then that's where the accumulative knowledge of the coach uh, really comes into play is tackling those little problems and i think a builder is much like that they have to uh have to problem solve as they go as things crop up because while you've got a plan on paper it doesn't always go to plan so you've got to be Uh, flexible as well as keeping to that structure. Another little example that I thought was, you know, that, that difference between the tools and using the tools, knowing how to use the tools. And I think a classic example of this is Instagram. Now, on Instagram, you'll see a lot of little short videos of people either using funky equipment or doing really crazy complex exercises that look really exciting and cool. And at the end of the day, all you're watching or looking at on those Instagram feeds are hammers, saws, uh, nails, you're just looking at tools, the tools of a strength and conditioning coach. Now. Just as you look at these, you know, sometimes really flash and fancy tools or flash and fancy exercises that are out there, it doesn't mean that you can then pick up that tool and then know where and how to use that tool at the right time, at the right place to be the most effective that it can be. Sure, some of these exercises look really amazing and cool and complex, and they usually are. But it doesn't mean that you need to use them all the time Uh, and potentially it's just a little sharpening tool to be used at a specific time of the building process so to speak you know as i'm finding out it's not just having the tools that matter it's knowing how to use them and where to where to use them and it's that difference between a good finish and a rough finish and most of us can get a relatively rough finish, you know, whether they're building something or, or training for something, but it's getting that good finish, getting it refined, getting it looking good, uh, get it, getting it feeling good, and having everything come together on the day that you, you need it to be. So I, I think that's, you know, something to keep in mind because there's a lot of stuff on social media about all these fancy different exercises. And often I'll get athletes saying, what do you think about this exercise will this help me should we be doing this and i'm like you know again it's just another tool and it's not going to work and it's not going to be useful right now but down the track we can probably use it in there for three or four weeks um, if we build up to it because if you try it now you know the house is going to come tumbling down so to speak because you're using a chainsaw to cut through all the piles of, of the house rather than you know adjusting things inside and so I guess when it comes to programming, when you look at it, you know what is a house? All a house is is some wood, some iron, some concrete, and a few other bits and pieces that I have no idea what they do or, or where they go. a few nails and nuts and bolts and that sort of thing. You know it doesn't matter if you have a, you know a really basic house or a really really flash mansion. At the end of the day, those same ingredients or bits of the puzzle are still the same. It's still wood, it's still concrete, it's still some bricks, you know, whatever it might be. It's just those finishing touches and potentially the time taken to build it that is different. And it's just like, you know, your training program. What is it? It's running, it's biking, it's kayaking, it's swimming, it's strength training. It doesn't matter if you are training for your first race or you're training for the World Championships. The basic materials are the same. But not all of the builds, the building processes are equal. You know, a World Champion still bikes, they still run, they still kayak, they still swim, depending on what their their sport is that they're training for. And the same goes with a beginner. But they're not not equal on terms of that. So I don't really know where I was going with that. It's just some observations. And I just want you to think about your training how you're approaching it. You've got all these tools, and most people know what the tools are. Interval sessions, hill sessions, squats, push-ups, you know long slow distance heart rate zones everybody knows what these tools are and it's just like a hammer or a saw or you know a nail gun a lot of people know what these are but when it comes to actually using them and crafting what you want out of them and that's when it becomes that difference between a skillful builder or a coach and an unskilled builder or a coach and getting somebody to help you with these tools and give you the advice to implement them is really key. And I know not everybody wants a personalized coach and that's something that I'm working towards at the moment is putting together an online program that allows you the knowledge to use these tools at the right time for the right job so you get the result you're after. So keep an eye out for that it's in the process at the moment. It's all gonna be focused around periodization and planning your own personalized training plan. So I will keep you updated with that as it all comes together. Now we're gonna jump into a segment with exponential performance coach Nick Taylor and he's gonna talk all things macro and nutrients as he starts a series about nutrition.
1: Let's get into it. Hey team, Nick Taylor here again for 2018 and it's good to be back talking to you uh, about all things sport, performance and nutrition. Uh, I hope you all had a lovely Christmas and New Year, Uh, I certainly did, had a good period of time off. Uh, went on some very cool missions, found some new tracks to play on, and have since got, started back into the gym uh, to get a bit stronger for the upcoming year. Now, alongside Maddie, I studied sports science uh, and performance at Otago University, um, and since then I've delved into some postgraduate work in, in nutrition. Um, and that's really my sort of my enjoyment side is the nutrition. Um, And what I wanted to do to start the year is to bring uh, about a four-part series in nutrition, um, looking at macronutrients, how to manipulate them, um, some common fads, and and also some things that are often overlooked by an endurance athlete. Um, Now, my nutritional study is in a a realm called Holistic Nutrition, um, and it's with the Holistic Performance Institute based out of Auckland. And often when I talk about holistic, people kind of, Get a little bit glazy-eyed and, and think it's you know witchy science, so to speak. Um, you know pills and potions. However, it simply is a term that is looking at the the whole approach to something. So we can't just take nutrition on its own. Uh, nutrition is always relative to what we are doing in our training, uh, to what we're doing in work, how much stress we're under. Um, you know what happened as a child when we were growing up with certain foods in terms of intolerances, uh, tastes, um, and, and our income, you know, can we afford to buy the, the best free-ranged um, organic egg, or can we only afford the, the cheaper option? Um, so um, when, you, when you're sort of looking at nutrition, don't don't be put off by a holistic approach to nutrition, um, simply just taking into account everything that's going on for you as a person, um, and then making sure that the, the nutritional approach to, to what you want to do is based around what's going on in your life. It's a wee bit like the, the performance template that, that Matty Graham has. Uh, nutrition is one of the key pillars, um, but it's certainly not by itself. So there, there's four or five of them there that without um, one of them, um, let's say your physical training or your mental training, uh, the whole thing falls over, um, just like without nutrition and without some, some good sound practices. Um, that are specific to yourself, um, uh, training and life will fall over. So what I wanted to start with today is just a quick overview on on the three key macronutrients Um, so your carbohydrates, your proteins and your fats. Um, Now carbohydrates are are simply sugars Um, you've probably heard the term simple and complex carbohydrate Um, that basically just describes how long the the molecule is, um, the longer it gets, the more complex it becomes because it takes the body another few steps and a bit longer to break down. So your your simplest of sugars is obviously something like a glucose um, or your fructose. um, And then you go up to to some of the more complex things such as oligosaccharides um, and and some of your starches, uh, which take the body a long time to break down. So quite simply, a carbohydrate is fuel for our body. Um, Just like putting petrol into a car, we put a carbohydrate into our body to give us energy to do a certain activity. Um, Now that's not to say you don't get additional things like vitamins and minerals from a carbohydrate, especially vegetables, Um, but for ease of conversation when we're looking at the the, the primary roles of these macronutrients, a carbohydrate is is just used for fuel. Now when we step over to protein, um, protein is used by the body for things like making connective tissue and basically keeping our body together. Um, so all our tendons and ligaments and muscles are made up of protein structures. Uh, it creates hormones in our body, helps with transporting molecules around our body such as blood. Um, so hemoglobin, which is our blood transport um, molecule, is a protein structure. Um, it helps with our immune system um, at producing antibodies to fight um Uh, ...invasions from different pathogens, Um, and it can also be used for energy. Um, Now, amino acids, which you might have heard the term as well, um, are simply how proteins are made up. So one protein is made up of a selection of different amino acids, um, and then the next protein is made up of a different selection of amino acids. Now, I don't want to delve too deep into the protein conversation because this is going to be its own podcast um, because it is a very important component of an endurance athlete's um, diet. But there's about 22 of these amino acids. Um, Some of them are what we call essential, uh, which means the body cannot create them by itself, so we have to take them on board through our food. Um, So things like a protein powder um, will contain a full spectrum of amino acids, Um, but then your your meats and your dairies tend to contain, uh, again, a full spectrum. Some of your vegetarian sources of of protein um, do not contain a full spectrum. Um, So just a couple of wee things to keep in mind um, with dietary requirements, and we'll cover the vegetarian component in that podcast. Um, There are also some amino acids which are conditionally essential. So they're ones that the body are making themselves, um, but we will get from our food as well. Um, So we'll delve into that a little bit more. Um, But essentially, proteins are are great from a a recovery point of view from training, Um, but also, like I said, they're helping with some of these other essential aspects around hormones and immune system um, where a carbohydrate isn't. And now the third one on that is fats. Um, Now fats are in the process of getting a a pretty good uh, comb through, so to speak, in the science and we've covered a little bit in a couple of podcasts around uh, the high-fat, low-carb diets. Um, then you've got people that go down the uh, low-fat, uh, low high-carb diets as well. Um, but essentially, a fat in the body is able to provide us energy. Um, and it does so through a process in, involving ketone bodies. Um, now, people often, again, think about ketones as being bad. If we have ketones in our blood or in our breath, uh, we're in a bad state. Um, But on a a mild scale, there is a a thing called nutritional ketosis, or functional ketosis. Um, And that's a very mild level of ketones in our body um, circulating, which is a way that our body will use them for fuel. So at rest, um, when we're just sitting around, um, and for some of us in in a very sort of mild or or low-intensity exercise, our body's primary fuel of sourcing that will be fatty acids. There'll be some carbohydrate involved in that as well, um, but a majority of that will be fat. Um, now, fat, I guess, role in the body as well as being a, a primary energy source at low intensities. Um, it's also a primary source of stored energy. Um, so we're probably all familiar with the fact that we have some stored fat in our body, and it tends to be what we talk about when we're getting a little bit, a um, little bit bigger around the stomach. Um, especially over the Christmas period when we're eating lots of nice food, Um, but our body is storing fatty acids in our body um, to be used as a later date. If we look back to in historical times um, when food was a sort of a scarcity and you'd find a whole bunch of meat maybe one week and then it might be several weeks before we found some more, our body's going to look to hold on to that fat until we need it later in the piece. by storing the fat, it was it was giving us a, an energy source when we weren't able to fuel ourselves because there was no food around. Um, it's also vital, fat's vital for protecting our organs um, and insulating ourselves against the cold. So with very low levels of, of fat around our skin and our um, organs, you become a lot more sensitive to the cold. Um, and also fat's a, a valuable player in the absorption of, of fat-soluble vitamins, so if you think Back to a great um, retail chain that used to exist in New Zealand called Dicker. Your vitamin D, E, K, and A um, are our fat-soluble vitamins that uh, fatty acids can help us get into our cells. And it does so by every cell is, is lined with a, a fatty um, acid layer. Um, so fats are able to move in, um, to and fro, taking these vitamins across. So Fats, like I said, have have, had a bit of a bad rap uh, in in the past, and they're starting to become a lot more respected for what they do in the body, and people are starting to eat them in a a greater quantity. Um, But it is important to remember that there are bad fats, just like there's bad carbohydrates, and there's good fats, and there's good carbohydrates as well. So I'm certainly not advocating for the the eating of of all and any fats as as often as you like, Um, but taking on board some really good quality fats in um, oily fish, um, or even fatty fish, um, things like flax seeds, um, a lot of your nuts, um, even coconut oil to an extent in, in moderation, um, and olive oils, those kind of things that are really nice and, and nutritious for the body, um, but not over-consuming fats that are coming out of things like our processed meats, so our, our bacon and our salamis, while they're good, um, they're in moderation they're, they're great. Um, but. In excessive consumption, they've got some really bad um, connections with some diseases. Um, So as we delve through this podcast, we'll break down the omega-3s and omega-6s a little bit more. Um, But hopefully that's given you a bit of an overview on the the three main macronutrients. Um, And like I said, the the next kind of couple of weeks, we're going to break them down a little bit more. Um, But next week, we'll start with the protein, um, because this is a, a vital piece for endurance athletes. Um, and often endurance athletes are under eating protein. um, So therefore they are jeopardizing their recoveries and jeopardizing their performance. But hope you all have a good week out there training. Um, Make sure you try something new this week and you try and smash a PB. See ya.
0: Well there you go, I hope you enjoyed that segment with Exponential Performance Coach Nick Taylor about macronutrients. Next week, he is gonna dive deeper into these nutrition concepts. But until then, we are gonna take some Q and A. Here we go for the first
2: one. Hi, Marty, My name's Graham. I live in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the UK. My question is, as you train, you lose body fat, which is a good thing. Um, but your weight remains the same. Now obviously this is muscle gain in your in your legs. Um uh, but how do you continue to lose lose weight? Is this genetics just the type of person you the type of rider you are? Um am I using too low a cadence? Tend to do, I tend to use a low cadence, or do I need to increase my cadence um, so that I'm not building as much black muscle? Thanks,
0: Graham, mate. Bloody good question. It is so good to have you tuned in, listening to the exponential performance coaching all the way over there on the other side of the world. Now, so yeah, as you train, you lose body fat. Now, that's not always true. That's not always true. Some people don't lose body fat as they train because they're not doing the right training at the right time or in the right way, something's not working out right. So that's not a given assumption, okay? But in general, yes, you should probably lose some body fat as you train. And this is particularly so if you uh, are carrying a little bit of excess body fat, that'll be the first thing to drop off as you start to train. Um, And if you haven't trained much, then the body's gonna uh, drop anything that it doesn't need. And do you build muscle mass? Well, that is also not a given assumption either. And that, yes, some training will build muscle mass, but other training won't. And in fact, if you are quite um, a muscular athlete or muscular build, and you have say come from a strength or a power sport, into endurance sport, often you will lose a lot of muscle mass. The thing with the body is, it will hold on to what it needs. If you aren't using that muscle mass, and it's not functional, then it will get rid of it. You just have to look at a cyclist for an example. A cyclist has a very lean upper body in terms of fat, but also in terms of muscle. They don't have a lot of musculature in their upper body. Because the body doesn't really need it to perform under the stress that they put it under, in this case, cycling. However, their legs usually stay quite muscular because they are using their legs. So it's a sort of a a self-fulfilling prophecy, as it is. Cyclists tend to have muscly legs, and you know, weak upper bodies because they don't have much muscle there and that's just because of the nature of the sport and the body sort of deals with it as it comes. So yes you will get some muscle gain. This is quite common for people who are getting into training as a way to lose a little bit of weight. They will notice that the weight comes off but they they don't see a change on the scales or if anything they actually increase they actually increase their body weight. And that is because they have gained muscle mass even though they have lost fat mass. So how do you continue to lose weight? Well, first of all, what I'd like to say is that you need to be really careful not to fall into the exercise and diet mentality. And what I mean by this is exercise and dieting are very different things from training and fueling your body, now a lot of people come from an exercise and dieting background into endurance sport because they think it'll be quite a nice thing to do. They go to the gym, they you know do some training and then they sign up for an event. it might be a half marathon, it might be a bike race, it might be a triathlon, and then they start training towards that, but they still hold on to this exercise and diet mentality this mindset where exercise is all about burning energy to lose weight and eating is all about not eating because food is bad food adds fat or we want to avoid eating uh, or food is a reward or we exercise so we can eat food Now that's a really dangerous mentality for endurance athletes to get into because food needs to be looked at as fuel and exercise needs to be looked at as training. We are training with a very specific goal in mind to improve performance. And if we just focus on exercising to burn energy to lose fat mass or just lose body weight, because at the end of the day, a lot of people don't even know if they're losing fat mass, or if they're losing body weight, because all they look at is that number on the scales. And if that's going down, they're happy. Even if it's muscle mass that they're losing, even if it's functional muscle mass that they're losing, even if it's just, they're sweating out all the water. If the number goes down, people are stoked on it. So I would suggest get out of the diet and exercise mentality if if that rings a bell or, you know, shows some sort of if you can relate to that what I suggest you should focus on is training focus on the training that you're doing to improve your power on the bike and if we do that if we focus on improving our power then our power to weight ratio is going to go up and if you focus on the training most of the time the fat loss will happen as a byproduct of that if you get to the point where it doesn't take care of itself and in some people it won't because the more exercise you do or the more training that you do the more fuel you need to fuel that training and the really interesting thing is is the more exercise or training that you do the less other activity that you do okay they're called activities of daily living and it's been found in the research that as you exercise more your activities of daily living decrease because you're tired so you may start up going to the gym for example and you're feeling really good you're doing all this exercise and you find that your body weight and your fat mass starts to increase you think how can that be Well, all of these things, all these incidental activities of daily living that you used to do, such as going for a walk or, you know, doing the vacuuming, putting the washing away, doing the gardening, playing with your children, all those things that used to burn energy, now don't because you come home from whatever exercise you were doing and you're too tired to do those things. So while you burn a bunch of energy during that exercise, your total energy expenditure during the day can actually drop. You know, maybe you used to walk to work or bike to work, but now you're too tired because of this new training regime you've got. So now you drive everywhere. So all of these things start to add up. So more exercise doesn't necessarily mean a decrease in weight. And that's where if you want to continue losing weight, as you said, what I would suggest is focusing on fat loss rather than weight loss, because they're two very different things. And when should you do this? Well, if it is a key factor, something that you've identified, that you need to lose fat mass to improve your performance, after you've focused specifically on your training, then I would suggest tackling this in the off-season. And the reason I suggest this is that if you're trying to train for a specific race, and this is often how it goes, You get a month out from the race, you realize you're over race weight, and so you start cutting back on what you're eating and try and ramp up the training leading into the race, hoping that you're gonna lose fat loss. What this often leads to is you being stale. You don't have enough energy to train. The training that you're doing in that time period should be quite high intensity, prepare you for the race speed, but you don't have the energy to push into those race you know, to that race intensity required for those training adaptations. So you end up training slowly. And this isn't very good for the training or for the, the race outcome. So you really need to be well fueled during this final lead up to a race so you can achieve the training goals. So if you are gonna tackle fat loss or weight loss, I would suggest tackling it in the off season So that any calorie deficit or energy deficit required to uh, lose the weight is not an issue because you're not training super hard and the training that you are doing lends itself quite well to be done in a calorie deficit because it's not high intensity. It's usually your longer slower duration training at that time phase during the off season. The other thing, as we talked about, more exercise equals more food, or more, more training equals more fuel, is that diet comes into it in a big way. And if you're in the situation where you have got a bit of a plateau with your weight, you're doing lots of training, then I would suggest looking at your diet, because it comes into play in a big way. You know, the old saying, you can't out-train a bad diet, it's always going to catch up with you. So it doesn't have to be a big, complicated nutrition plan. Often it just takes a little bit of time looking at the amount of fuel you are taking in, looking at those sources of fuel, and then cutting out some of the maybe not so important sources. Cutting out the crap, so to speak. The crap, the junk food. Often the weight will come off quite easily because it doesn't take much of that energy-dense energy dense sugary, fatty foods for it to jack up your energy intake above that of what you need to be in a bit of a deficit. The other thing I'd suggest is that during the off season, it's a perfect time to do some cross training and your body gets really efficient at an exercise that you do a lot. So for you being a cyclist, your body is extremely efficient at cycling. And it will get to a point where it requires minimal energy to get those pedals turning. No matter how hard you work, you are very efficient at those sports you train in a lot. So it's an ideal time to mix it up. Do something that you're very inefficient at. And this is kind of hard to do because it feels hard. You know, it is slow and often you look like a fool because you're not very good at the technique. But if you're a cyclist, Consider doing some running. Keep the running short because you don't want to get impact injuries or overuse injuries from the running. But integrating some running into your program. And often you'll find that if cyclists integrate running into their program over the off-season, they get a big shift in weight. Just because they're so inefficient at running, it burns a lot of energy. And the same goes for swimming. If you want a really inefficient exercise, go and swim, especially if you're not very good at it. You fighting against that water is going to burn a lot of energy. Also, some strength training. I know it sounds counterproductive because we're talking about (coughs) that muscle gain affecting your overall body weight. But if you get into some strength training, again, your body's not used to it, it will get a big change. Having that extra muscle mass as well, not just in the lower body, but through the core and in the upper body will help burn more energy Uh, throughout the day as well because you've got a higher resting metabolic rate because muscle is not a passive tissue it's an active tissue it's always metabolizing things so the more muscle you've got the more energy you're going to burn just in general so is it is there a genetic component you know are you just completely buggered because of your genetics well, like everything, yes, there is a genetic component, but don't let it be an excuse or don't let it write the history books for you. I think a lot of people overplay the genetic component. For most people undertaking, you know, recreational competitive cycling or triathlon, multi sport, running and you know those endurance sports. Your genetics are not going to be the thing that stops you reaching your potential. Time, family, resources, work, all of those other things are going to have a bigger impact on your performance than your genetics are. Now, some people are more genetically gifted, obviously, and they don't need to do as much work. But if you have got drive and determination, you can maximize your genetics genetics come into play in a big way at the elite level of sport all of those elite athletes at the olympic games or the world champs they all have some degree of genetic gift if you like and if they didn't they wouldn't be there that's why you're not there is because you don't have the same genetic gifts as they do So there is a genetic component, but I highly doubt that it is inhibiting you, reaching your potential. There's probably a lot of other things there as well. So don't let it be an excuse, that genetic component, and don't let it write the history books. There are riders of all different shapes and sizes competing at a high level and club level and even national level cycling. It comes down to that work ethic and building that engine. It's not always the shape or the size. Definitely genetics have a big part to play in elite sports, but we're not really talking about that in this case. And the reason, again, I think genetics is not the thing limiting um, what you're doing is something as simple as cadence. If you haven't even tapped into that yet, then that's something that you probably want to look at. Um, are you using too low of a cadence? I have no idea, to be honest. Um, I've never met you. Um, but if you think you are, I'd probably say that you are. You know, you said, oh, I, I'm pretty sure I use a too low of a cadence, which is building the muscle mass in my legs. What I'd suggest is, is mix it up. What is your cadence? If it's down around, you know, 80 to 90 most of the time, try picking it up, 90 to 100. Put it in a slightly slow, uh, lower gear so you're spinning a little bit more and really work on that neuromuscular activation to get those legs moving faster. This will uh, decrease the load on your m- muscular system, if you like, your neuromuscular system, and it will transfer some of that load to your cardiovascular system. What you'll get the cardiovascular uh, training effects without those uh, neuromuscular effects that you know potentially could be bulking your legs up also if you naturally ride with a lower cadence it probably indicates that you're quite a, a naturally muscular athlete anyway and those type of athletes will tend to rely on lower cadence to to create their power remember power is force times velocity so what gear in you're in and how fast you spin that gear over so you can get to a certain power different ways. You can either chuck it in a big gear and grind it out, or you can put it in a smaller gear and spin it up. The ideal scenario, and I think it was Greg LeMond, or it might have been Miguel Indoran actually, uh, he said, the ideal thing, you know, do you want to spin small gears or, uh," he was asked, do you want to spin small gears or do you want to grind big gears? And he said, in an ideal world, you wanna train yourself to be able to spin big gears. And that's what we're after. So if you think your cadence is low, work on getting it up, not just because of the muscle mass or the weight uh, issue, if you like, but it's gonna be good for your riding uh, hands down to be able to generate more power at those higher cadence ranges rather than relying on those big grindy gears. Because if you start to do a lot of endurance riding or endurance racing and you're always surging in those bigger gears, it's going to sap your legs more than if you can quickly change cadence in a lower gear. So Graham, I hope that helps, mate. If you are more confused than you were before, feel free to fire me through another voice question and I'll do my best to answer it for you. Just remember, if you at home have a voice question you would like me to answer, head over to the exponentialperformancecoaching.com website slash ask, A-S-K, and you can ask your voice question over there. And as a thank you for sending through your voice question, I will send you through a free copy of the Performance Temple Handbooks. That includes uh, a handbook that covers all four pillars of the Performance Temple. If you wanna get a free insight of the Performance Temple, just head over to exponentialperformancecoaching.com and you can download a free insight there. But if you wanna know more about the pillars of recovery, function, psychology, and nutrition, you can get a free copy of those handbooks if you ask me a question. Otherwise, they usually cost a little bit. You can go buy them if you want as well, but ask a question, I'll send them to you for free. Alright, moving on to our next question, let's have a listen.
3: Hey Matty, we'd love to get your opinion about something. Um, I'm currently training for a race called the Red Bull 400. It's basically a 400 metre race up a joint uh, ski slope, a total of incline around 180 metres. The race itself lasts around 45 minutes. Now, I've seen a lot of your videos of training your anaerobic threshold as I think raising this as high as possible will help me run at high intensity for longer. Now my anaerobic training uh, consists of around four minutes on with two minutes off for around four to five rounds as suggested in one of your videos. I also do a lot of 200 meter hill sprints um, at around 70% effort with a gentle jog down being the rest. Um, I tend to do this around five to six times um, is there any other types of training or workouts you would recommend. Um, I also do a lot of strength training on my legs, uh, mainly things like squats and deadlifts uh, once a week. Uh, thanks in advance for any ideas you might have.
0: Hey, thanks so much for your question. I hope your training is going well for the Red Bull 400. I hope this hasn't got to you too late and you're still able to implement some of these changes into your training. So for those that don't know, the Red Bull 400 is crazy. It's a crazy event. Um, I'll post the link to a video about it in the show notes over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 35. Or you can find it underneath the podcast tab at episode 35. So essentially, these crazy people line up at the bottom of a big uh, ski jump. The jumps are 400 meters long uh, and they proceed to run pretty much up this vertical ramp uh, gaining a total of 180 meters over 400 meters. I'm not too sure exactly what sort of incline that is but damn it is steep. It's not necessarily just a run because they get to a point where it's more just powerful power steps if you like driving through the legs Um, and as the question uh, said it takes around about four to five minutes. The interesting thing about an event that's around four to five minutes is that it is very aerobic, but it is also very anaerobic in the same breath. These events around that four to five minute mark, I personally think are some of the hardest events on earth. It's such an intense intensity. It's... It's not short enough that you don't get the, the massive anaerobic burn, say as in a 100-meter a, a sprint or even a 200-meter sprint, but it's also not long enough that you can settle into a steady pace. It's pretty much just as hard as you can go for that for that time, and they are very, very hard physically and psychologically. So in your training, it's not just about developing your physical capacity, but it's about developing your psychological capacity to be able to push yourself into that hurt box and stay there for as long as possible. So it sounds like the training that you're doing is pretty solid. You obviously got it from a video of mine, which is great to hear that that has been helping you. And yeah, a classic anaerobic threshold session is four minutes hard, two minutes easy. And anything around that sort of ratio of two to one when it comes to our work to recovery ratio. And we covered this in our podcast episode when we talked all things anaerobic threshold, which was episode 25. So if you wanna go back and check that out, you can. But in essence what we're trying to do is work for twice as long as we recover and that way the the lactic acid or the lactate and the hydrogen ions build up in our bud and our blood sorry and start to accumulate so that our body adapts to that accumulation and that's what helps us improve our anaerobic threshold so yes you definitely want to improve your anaerobic threshold 200 meter hill sprints i like those as well uh, and strength work, I definitely like that in terms of your squats and your deadlifts. So it sounds like your training is you know, on track. So what I would suggest is just getting a little bit more structure around it. So depending on how long you had got, I would put in as long as possible in a base phase. And what I'd be doing in the base phase is working on your strength endurance. And what that essentially is, is just hills, 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 and more hills. What we're trying to do is build up your aerobic capacity. And because, and a lot of people will think, well, this is not a long race. Why do you need a good anaer- or a good aerobic capacity? Well, a good aerobic ca- capacity allows you to build a good anaerobic capacity on top of it. And you can't really have one without the other for these very uh, midterm events in terms of that four to five minute range. So depending on how much time, put as much time into that base uh, hill strength endurance phase as you can. And how long would that be? Well, it doesn't really matter, but you want to leave yourself about 8 to 10 weeks out from the event to work on some really good um, anaerobic speed type work. And the higher you build the base in terms of that strength endurance, the more work of this anaerobic type working do on top of that. So somewhere between eight to 10 weeks. Um, if you're four weeks out from the event and you're going shit, I don't have eight to 10 weeks to uh, to put towards that, then just hook into four weeks hard out as you can. It's a case then of just doing what you can with what you've got. Um, but somewhere around eight to 10 weeks would be a nice length um, if you're looking at, you know racing this Red Bull 400 really, really hard. So during this time, what I would recommend doing is keep up with the anaerobic threshold work and focus on progressing it. So you can progress anaerobic threshold work uh, in a couple of ways. You can uh, increase the work duration or increase the amount of uh, reps that you do. So at the at the moment you might be doing four lots of four minutes on, two minutes off. Maybe that increases to six times four. Uh, or you could go to four times five minutes, so pushing that that length out a little bit. Those hill sprints, I really like those. Keep working on those, and what I'd suggest is just get onto the steepest hill that you can possibly do, and even shorten that uh, distance up so that you're not pacing yourself at 70% or whatever it was over that 200, but go and say for a 100-meter sprint up a hill, a really steep hill that you're almost walking, but you can just get that 100 meters done in and then then walk back down. So it becomes very powerful and explosive. The other thing I'd suggest you do is not only uh, anaerobic threshold work, but lactate tolerance work. And lactate tolerance is all about getting your lactate levels or your lactic acid levels in the blood as high as possible. And these will often be the type of sessions that make people vomit. Um, because the hydrogen ions make you feel sick, for for whatever reason that is. And what something like this might look like is uh, a Tabata set. So you could do 20 seconds as hard as you can up a hill, then 10 seconds easy. 20 seconds hard as you can, 10 seconds easy. That there will definitely work on that uh, lactate tolerance. The other thing you could do is push that out a little bit longer, one minute maximal with 30 seconds easy, one minute maximal with 30 seconds easy. You could do that about four to 10 times and then do have, you know, five to 10 minutes of easy jogging between that and then do two to three sets of that. So you're just really focusing on covering all of your bases in terms of um, that longer sustained anaerobic threshold work Some shorter power work when it comes to those uh, shorter hill sprints and potentially that uh, Tabata work, or going slightly a little bit longer with that lactate tolerance as you develop that uh, tolerance to it. As with everything, you've got to keep changing things so your body keeps adapting. Final thing a couple of notes that I made here in the gym, you've got your squats and you've got your deadlift, watch a two you know, key movements that everybody should be doing. But what you could do is add in some single leg um, work such as Bulgarian split squats, where you've got your rear leg up on a bench or a box and you're doing a like a lunge, a rear leg elevated squat. People call it different things. Uh, and then just really work on high rep ranges with a, with a moderate weight. And again, what we're focusing on here isn't specifically strength gains as you would get with your deadlifting and your squatting, but focusing more on uh, lactate tolerance and uh, endurance of that specific muscle group. So just getting that quad uh, burning as much as you can with high repetition work in it, Um, as well as a lot of plyometric um, and heavy strength work because they have been shown to improve um, performance quite well. So I hope that helps you. Uh, Best of luck with the Red Bull 400. Please uh, send me another voice message. Let me know how it goes. Um, And if anyone out there is using training advice that I have been giving them, uh, whether it be on the podcast or whether it be on a YouTube video, please send me in a wee uh, voice message and let me know how it has been going for you. I always love to hear how things are going and how the content that I am putting out helps people. Because at the, the, at the end of the day, that's why I'm sitting here recording this podcast, As I want to help as many people as I can improve their performance and get those good finish line feelings that you get when you do cross those finish line and achieve your goals. So that is all the questions I have for today. And I just want to finish off that, you know, if you do have any questions, please send them through as a voice question. And you can do that over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash ask. And that's gonna take you to uh, a page where you can ask a voice message. Very simply, push a button, record your question, push stop, boom, done. I've got your question, I'll do my best to answer them. I'm still getting a lot of written questions or comments in YouTube, um, pretty much saying, this is who I am, this is what I do, can you tell me exactly how to train? And while I'd love to help everyone um, that asks me this question, I can't do that. I don't have the time. Um, I've got the athletes that I work with that have got my, my, my main focus. But if you would like uh, general advice over the podcast, feel free to fire the questions through to me. If you do want a little bit more specific advice, you could always go over to my Reach Me account and I'll put a link to that in the show notes what you can do is send me a reach me request which is your question or how you would like to me to help you train and i will answer it with a a short reply either in the video or um, just a text written reply there's a small fee for this just helps cover my time with those smaller questions however i hope that in the future this uh, package that i'm working on that's going to be all about how to Um, plan and periodize your own training. I hope that this will help take care of a lot of people's questions so that they can better plan and prepare their own training going forward. So until next time, get out there and train hard, but most importantly, train smart. I'll talk to you next week.